and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And this is a special edition of Powerhouse Politics. We are joined by Jack Farrell, the author of Richard Nixon, The Life. Brand new book, getting rave reviews everywhere on the life of Richard Nixon. And I'll tell you, you know what caught my eye about this, right? What's that? Come on. What's that? Oh, is it? Is it have to do with the press secretary? Yes, the press secretary. You know, we, we spent a little time with uh, with Sean Spicer, and uh, um, Mr. Farrell's written this uh, this this little outtake from from his book in Politico called "The Most Abused Press Secretary in History." In history, Sean Spicer meet Ron Ziegler. <laughs> Poor Spicer. He gets he gets compared right off the bat. Uh, but but it, it's a remarkable moment that we're going to talk to uh, to Mr. Farrell, my former colleague at the Boston Globe, about because it, it, in a way, I mean, you 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 report, you research, all for this moment where Nixon's more relevant than ever. Yeah, what what's up with that? Did wouldn't you plan be, this? Wouldn't it be great to say that I, <laughs> I planned this? Um, How long I, I have you been have, working on this book? Five years. Yeah. I do have an editor at Doubleday that if I hear that he's going to like uh, commission a book on the the Black Plague, uh, I'm going to no. get inoculated. <laughs> get out of town. <laughs> he nailed it. So um, I, I, I seriously do want to ask you about Ziegler, and there's so much sure. to talk about uh, with, with the book. But b- before we get into this, I think we I have want, a, I want to we, hear a, a, a little fact about that I did not know when I re- yeah. um, researched this book. Ron Ziegler was ridiculed for being the guy in the Disneyland Jungle Cruise uh, guide that makes all those silly – have you ever taken the rides, all those really corny <laughs> yeah, yeah, jokes sure. and puns? I found out that in the first 10 years of Disneyland, it was educational. None of those puns and stuff was allowed. So when Ron Ziegler did it. It was a serious job. And by the way, I I, I think Disney experience is a good thing. Uh, Yeah, I think they they went in the right direction with that one. Uh, But just just to get us in the mood, we've we've pulled a clip, one that you're well familiar with. But just to get us in the kind of right frame of mind, uh, we've pulled a little clip from Richard Nixon. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. <laughs> anyway, there we go. You, you love the guy, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean you absolutely love the guy. But I wrote it for your generation, not mine, because my generation formed their opinions long ago about Richard Nixon. And uh, as I was talking to young people, they said, you know, all we know of him is this is caricature. This, you know, he's the bad guy. He's the guy on The Simpsons, or he's the, the, the evil uh, president in the X-Men movies. So um, I, my, my goal, my wish for this book is that I, I go to some college campus and I see it sticking out of backpacks. So what what did you find in in doing this uh, mo- most redeeming about Nixon that you didn't expect going in? I was stunned by the fact that many of his former staff uh, um, and uh, friends had this protective feeling for him, sort of like he was this ugly, awkward duckling that had been treated so unfairly by the by the world, and they had formed this attachment to him long ago, and they were very protective and, and emotional and, and warm about him. And this extended even to some journalists, like the really tough guys like Murray Kempton from the New York Post. They they met him, and they, they, they decided, you know, this is that dweeb that you knew in, in, in high school that was sort of well-meaning, and yeah, he sure had a, a, a bad side, but, um, you know, maybe the world turned him in that direction. And that's pretty much the theme of the book, is how the the uh, the world kept preying on that weakness, that tragic flaw, um, and uh, he resulted in being the, the only president we had to resign. And, of course, a lot of similarities between the Watergate scandal and what we're seeing now, even starting with a, a break-in of sorts yeah. into the Democratic National Committee. But you identify – I mean, there's some news in this book, and you identify a, an episode that – 
I know I've seen interviews with you. You're talking about much more serious than, than Watergate. There's always been talk that Richard Nixon was secretly trying to scuttle peace talks in Vietnam so that he to boost his chances for the presidency. And you found actual documentation of that. That seems to me like it is a different level of scandal potentially. I think it is. It was in 1968, and uh, Lyndon Johnson was trying to get the South Vietnamese to meet him and the uh, North Vietnamese at the negotiating table in Paris. And Nixon, uh, as the story went, and it broke very soon after the election, rumors of it were leaked by the Johnson folks, um, Nix, the Nixon campaign had sent an envoy to South Vietnam and said, drag your feet, and you'll get a better deal if Nixon gets elected. And Nixon denied it all his life. Um, there were tapes that showed that it happened um, because the U.S. was surveilling the, uh, embassy, the South Vietnamese embassy here in Washington. So there was no doubt that it happened, but the, Nixon's personal involvement was in doubt. And sort of like Barack Obama last year, Lyndon Johnson said, well, unless I have direct proof, I'm not going to throw the country into a constitutional crisis and malign um, this the candidate from the other party. Um, and so that, that direct proof just lay hidden in the archives at the Nixon Library for um, 50 years, 50 years next year. And what, what form did they take? You find this actual physical paper, right? Yes. Uh, Richard Nixon had a uh, detail-minded uh, chief of staff named H.R. Bob Haldeman. And uh, I would that Donald Trump had a detail-minded <laughs> chief of staff. Um, but, uh, uh, but Haldeman used to sit there with Nixon with a le- yellow legal pad, and Nixon would bark orders, and, and Haldeman would take them down. And we know from the years later in the White House that, that uh, Haldeman's notes-taking was very accurate. And Nixon told him, um, have Anna Chenault, who was the envoy, approach the, uh, keep working on the South Vietnamese. Any way we can monkey-wrench this, you know, go ahead and do it. Wow. So uh, another timely thing here is, is, is Nixon's approach to the press. And, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about the... Um, there's, a, there's a one word difference. Yes. He was, he was always, the press is the enemy, the press is the enemy. Write it on the blackboard a hundred times, the press yes. is the enemy. He never went out, out and actually said, the press is the enemy of the American people like Trump did. So Trump has taken it like one step further. What's the, the press difference? should be the enemy of, of, of politicians in some regard, but the press should never be the enemy of the so American people. So Nixon was saying the press is my enemy, my not en- the yeah, enemy of the yeah, American yeah. people. It was really sad because this was, this was a long – I actually stopped the narrative at one point and just have a little mini chapter about how this relationship um, deteriorated because it, it, it mattered so much in later years. And, and you know, we, we have the latest thing with the current White House uh, of many regarding relations with the press is, is this boycott of the White House Correspondents' Dinner not just for the president, but for all the staff and all the cabinet agencies, I understand as well, are kind of told not to go. Uh, but Nixon himself blew off the correspondence dinner. He, so, uh, sometimes, sometimes he did. He didn't like yeah. it, for sure. So yeah. he, would, he would, like, skip it whenever he could. Um, same with the gridiron dinner and, and maybe the, others, the other white tie dinners as, as well. It was just a pain in the neck thing that he had to do. But the, the really amazing one was in 1973 when he was about to fire Haldeman and other top aides for their involvement in Watergate. Nixon went and he sat there and Woodward and Bernstein were given awards by the Press Association. And, of course, all the jokes and the speeches were about all this. And then he went back to the White House and while he was at the dinner – John Dean's lawyer and Jeb Magruder's lawyer, the two guys who, who turned state's evidence, were meeting with high justice uh, department officials, and, and they stayed up till dawn that night. So you had these two things happening yeah. in Washington at the same time, this meeting over the, at the attorney general's office in the Justice Department and everybody in their tuxedos at the, at the dinner Jeez. and not knowing what was happening at the other location. So Nixon comes into the White House and, and appoints a 29-year-old as his press secretary. Yes, yep, Ron Ziegler. Um, and... Uh, 
background in advertising and marketing. Um, and like we said, he, his, his most <laughs> famous claim to fame was being the guide in, at the Jungle Land cruise in Disneyland. The actual appointment was seen as an insult by the press corps because they were used to giants. They were used to uh, um, uh, Haggerty, and they were used to uh, um, Pierre Salinger. Uh, Pierre, help me out, Pierre, Pierre Kennedy's. Pierre Salinger. Pierre Salinger. Pierre Salinger. Yeah. Um, so they were. They were. Uh, you know, they expected that they would be treated by a high-level hand, and that the idea that they were going to put out this this young twerp. Um, and he was, you know, he didn't have the most imposing. Uh, appearance. He was a little tubby, and his Secret Service name was Whaleboat. <laughs> and <laughs> well, he when, when, change, when right? he <laughs> appealed, it hauled him in like was 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 uh, uh, cruel and said, "No, we're going to stick with Whaleboat." So, um, and and it very quickly be- the, the situation deteriorated because they knew that Nixon didn't like them. They knew that Ziegler despised them. They began to despise um, Ziegler, and uh, it went on and on. And some of the press conferences that you guys must have seen of, of Dan Rather and others going one-on-one with Nixon and Nixon saying things like don't don't think that I'm angry with you gentlemen because to be angry with someone you have to respect them uh, I mean <laughs> he was pretty tough exchanges and and, and then finally there was this moment in, in New Orleans towards the end where, where Nixon lost it and he took Ron Ziegler by the shoulders and turned him around and shoved him over to the press pool right in front of the cameras, and that was forever captured as, as capturing the, the relationship. And then as, as the scandals worsen and as Watergate devolves, Ziegler was, was famous for trying to compartmentalize what he knew and what he said, and at one point having to admit, well, that's not operative any longer. Very right. famous, very famous utterance. What shades of that are you seeing in this current White House press secretary who's being asked about scandals every single day and is responding not with no comments or kind of friendly shrug-offs, but with attacks. He is very combative in there. Yeah. Um, I get this. <laughs> I get asked this question a lot. And, and what I will say is that we don't know if anybody's ever going to have to resign or go to jail for what happened last fall. Right. But I will say this with 100% conviction that they, meaning Trump's aides and White House staff, are acting like Nixon's Trump aides and White House staff as if they have something that they're going to, uh, they have to cover up. It's more that seems to me than um, just arrogance and hatred of the press. There seems to me to be a definitely a protective element to this that that reminds me an awful lot of what Haldeman and Ehrlichman and Ziegler and Dean were, were doing in seventy three and seventy four. But but one one thing you point out with Ziegler <laughs> is he wasn't invited to the meetings where the laws got broken. It was yes. the, there, there, there was there was this as Rick was alluding to there was there was this kind of virtue of being out of the loop. That's right, and he and and that that allowed him to last. He must have been one of the, the longest-serving White years. House press secretaries. And then he went to San Clemente with Nixon in exile and was his chief of staff for, uh, I think, uh, six months. On so, the plane with our Diane Sawyer. Yes, Diane Sawyer, another unsung hero of Watergate, because <laughs> Diane Sawyer was, was one of the ghostwriters for Richard Nixon's memoirs. And she was the one who was stuck with, or chose, um, to break him down on Watergate, long before David Frost. And she would go in, and they would have this uh, mental, emotional wrestling matches where she would like say, "No, Mr. President, you can't leave it at that. That's going to be, you know, you have to go further than that and try to pull it out." And so, yeah, she's a great unsung hero of of uh, of Nixon's very, very rich uh, memoir, maybe one of the best presidential memoirs. We sing her praises all the time here, so we, we have no problems Diane. with that. <laughs> love Diane. Uh, so I, I'm struck by one thing about the, the comparisons between Nixon and Trump. The, President Trump made it known that he received a letter from 
former President Nixon, uh, after a television appearance he made in the 1980s and talked about how Pat thought he'd make a great president. And he, he let it known that not only did he receive this letter, but that he's framing it and putting it in the Oval Office. I, Has I, anybody seen it? No, oh, I don't okay, think okay, we, yeah. no, no, we haven't yet that I know of. <laughs> I know, not that I know of. It uh, may be get, the, the comparison may be getting too uncomfortable. Well, but I, the, it's, it just struck me at the time that that's the kind of comparison. I can't imagine there's many other presidents since Nixon who would invite the Nixon comparisons like that. Right. Well, uh, that's true. But, but I just got to jump in and say this yeah. is like the first thing they teach you in historian school, yeah. which is that any famous man, especially any uh, president, always has 500 people who show up and say, I was sitting across the kitchen table with Uncle Joe 50 years ago, and I said, that young Dick Nixon, he's going to be president someday. <laughs> so I don't, you know, I've heard the story told by um, Roger Stone. Uh, you know, I just uh, don't believe that Richard Nixon, they, they may have been polite. They sure. Like there them, may be thousands of letters like that. Right. Fan exactly. letters. Yeah, but, yeah. but I don't question Nixon writing the letter or even Trump receiving the letter. It's highlighting it. It's, it's advertising <laughs> it. It's, it's Nixon thought I'd make a great president. It, it, there must be something in Donald Trump's mind that says that is not only not something to hide from, but validation. There's a respect for Nixon that comes through in that. And I'm curious if you see any any strains of that in what we've seen in the first 70 some odd days of Donald Trump? Well, he, he borrowed um, uh, converse, uh, uh, quotations directly from Nixon, the silent majority, yeah. law and order during the campaign. And, uh, and, and I think that the tweets really remind me of the White House tapes in that it's Nixon sitting around in the Oval Office jawing at odd hours of the day on the phone at night. And it's a glimpse of the presidential id. And I think that, that that's one great comparison. There are many, many comparisons between the two administrations. You had demonstrations in the street, an attorney general that was uh, fired, this press uh, secretary. Um, uh, a friend of mine down at the University of Virginia said that it was like the first 60 days of the, the Trump administration was like Nixon speed dating. <laughs> <laughs> All happens within two months. Yeah. yeah. Um, incredible. So what's what's the next project? What, what, what do you what do you do after this? You've taken on uh, Tip O'Neill. You've taken on Richard Nixon. You know, Clarence Darrow was Darryl the last one. Yeah, yeah um, it's it's a it's an uh, an interesting process because part of you was doing this traveling, speaking to groups. Uh, the other part is going back into mole mode and going to archives and looking to see what's available. I don't have one yet. I really wanted to do Aaron Burr because of the success of the the play Hamilton on on New York, and I really liked the way they brought out that character. But um, uh, it, by the time the book comes out in five years, the Hamilton buzz and phase may be over or somebody else may be reprinting an old Burr. Uh, or, or maybe there's a new musical on Broadway called Aaron Burr. If you really kind or of, Nixon, you know. Nixon's musical. Actually, there's already been Nixon in the opera, so <laughs> he beat him a long time ago. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, uh, Jack Farrell, we really appreciate you coming in to talk to us um, uh, about this, uh, about your book and, uh, and the, the incredible parallels between, uh, between then and now. Yeah, anytime. anytime. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's it for Powerhouse Politics. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and uh, we'll talk to you soon. 